You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Sob here, joined today by 2015 NLC fellow Aaron Carr from New York City. We're doing Coast to Coast. The Coastal Elites are chatting today, but a lot of important community-based things to talk about. So excited for you to listen. Thanks for joining us. Let's get to it. All right, Aaron. How long have you lived in New York City? So I lived in New York all my life. I moved to the city about seven, eight years ago, um, and now I'm in Manhattan. What's your favorite part about the rivalry between L.A. and New York City? Uh, probably the fact that I've never been a part of it. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't been to L.A. It's on my bucket list. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I know that it gets pretty intense sometimes. But uh, luckily, I've been on the outside, so I'm safe. Yeah. Well, so one of the things our, our cities definitely have in common is uh, a crushing sense that no one's going to be able to afford to live here. Um, and that's uh, something that you're working on closely. Give folks a little bit of a scoop about what your day-to-day job is. Yeah. So about uh, three years ago, I started a housing watchdog group called Housing Rights Initiative. Uh, and we investigate real estate fraud uh, and we generate class action lawsuits against predatory landlords. Uh, most of the landlords we go after are ch- are committing tax benefit fraud, uh, which means they are receiving uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in tax benefits in return for affordable housing uh, without, of course, providing the affordable housing. Uh, so to date, we have generated over 50 class action lawsuits against dozens of landlords, uh, including Kushner companies. Uh, and uh, that's that's the the uh, the main thing we do on a day to day basis. And so did you get into this based on something that happened to you personally or someone in, in your life? What led you to this work? So two things. One, um, this was an outgrowth of my new leaders uh, council uh, mm-hmm. capstone. Um, and this definitely wouldn't have happened without NLC. Um, they gave me the tools to kind of build this from, from the bottom up. Uh, it also wouldn't have happened had I not worked for uh, an assembly member in the South Bronx, uh, assembly member Blake, uh, who allowed me to focus almost all of my attention on housing issues uh, in the district. Uh, and one thing in particular that really pushed me over the top was, you know, during the winter months, our office would get bombarded uh, with heat complaints. Uh, and at the time, the threshold at which landlords were required to provide heat in New York City was 40 degrees uh, from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., which I felt like was patently insane. So I uh, drafted a bill uh, with my team that would have increased the threshold to 50 degrees. However, when I brought this uh, bill up to the gatekeepers of the assembly, uh, the, what we call the Albany machine, uh, not only did they tell me that it would never get passed, they advised me against it because the real estate lobby would get upset. Uh, so forget about the 90-year-old woman or the newborn mm-hmm. child without heat in the winter. Uh, those at the top wouldn't even allow us to fail, essentially, because they said it wouldn't get passed. You can't even propose it. Even if it fails, it will make us look bad. So I said, you know what, I'm going to leave Albany, start this organization um, and, you know, essentially sue all of your friends. <laughs> so then do you feel like ultimately this is a very complicated issue that has so many threads to pull or at its heart, it's actually very simple. It's people being greedy. It's people trying to maximize their profits at the expense of people. Uncovering uh, tax benefit fraud, uh, I would say, it, you know, with all seriousness, is probably the easiest thing I've ever had to do in my life. <laughs> Okay. Um, because it is it is so straightforward and binary. If a building is receiving 
what's called a J-51 or a 421A tax benefit in return for affordable housing, 100% of the units have to be affordable. And this is a matter of public record. So all we're doing is dividing the number of actual affordable units by the total number of units and figuring out whether or not that's less than 100%. So uh, third grade math. And what's so crazy is like this is really it's not a housing issue. It's a campaign finance, right, and a democratic issue. Ten uh, percent of all political donations at a state level in New York uh, come from real estate, uh, which hopefully will change because there's some reforms that are now going through Albany, uh, mm-hmm. and that's taken a lot of the political will out of this, and is why our government is deferring to a nonprofit that has the budget of a nickel and a piece of lint. I mean, our budget is one twenty-fifth of one percent of the state housing enforcement agency's budget. You know, if the state housing enforcement agency had a pizza party for all of its employees, it would comprise a significant portion of our budget, and that doesn't even include toppings. Uh, so this is really, at the end of the day, a political problem. So when you launched with this, I imagine the city's initial response was probably something like, "Oh, it's overblown. It's." smaller than you would think. This is a small percentage of what actually is going on in a city as large as New York with that many people there. Uh, is that accurate or do they have an actual response that you felt like was commensurate with what you were finding? Their response, usually speaking, is silence. Um, you know, uh, sometimes they'll come out with some kind of statement saying that we take this very seriously and we're going to go after these landlords. But, you know, we filed over 50 class action lawsuits against uh, dozens of landlords that are cheating on their tax benefits. Guess how many, uh, um, you know, of those tax benefits were revoked from the landlords? Uh, I'm going to say zero. three, zero. Okay, yeah, yeah. Zero. <laughs> zero. Sorry, I, I cheated. Yeah, zero, zero tax benefit. And, you know, if we can do this with a tiny budget, right, they could clearly just, you know, by tomorrow morning have gone after every landlord that is cheating on uh, their tax benefits. So usually speaking, all we get from the city and state um, are crickets. Now, the only time they really do respond is when we go after Kushner companies, because that Mm -hmm. gets so much attention uh, nationally and internationally that it really applies the pressure on our government, which is a mixed blessing because it kind of shows you how politicized these enforcement agencies are. Uh, So, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo investigated uh, one building uh, by owned by Kushner companies after one of our investigations. Uh, the city uh, fined Kushner companies $200,000 after we released a, a report on Kushner. That's really the only time they respond. Aside from that, we get silent. And then I'm sure there's lots of different images that come to mind when you say landlord. So in New York, is it primarily folks who own a building or two or the are they giant companies? What What does the idea or concept of landlord mean? That's a good question. And um, we tend to go after uh, big landlords, uh, private equity type landlords that are not in the business of real estate, so to speak. They're effectively investors. Right. So they look at these affordable buildings. uh, They're speculating on how much, you know, money uh, they could make in the future, not based on the current rent rolls of those buildings. They go in and they try to push as many tenants out of these affordable housing uh, or affordable housing units as possible so they can flip the building and make a huge return on their investment. Um, I have never come in contact with a big landlord or private equity real estate landlord that's in the affordable housing setting that is doing a, uh, you know, a good job 
I have met, you know, some small landlords who take pride in their buildings, take pride in their work, it's a family-owned business, uh, and who do a good job. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're not anti-real estate. We are anti-fraud. Uh, and it just, you know, turns out to be that there are a lot of big landlords in New York City that are committing fraud, which makes sense because that's what happens when 10% of all political contributions are from one sector, in this case, real estate. So when it comes to enforcement and consequences, you mentioned the Kushner fine of 200K that I imagine is a super, super small line item on the operating budget for a company like Kushner. How do you get to a point where there actually is a real sting, a real disincentive for folks to make these fraud choices? Yeah, the you know the way we want to um, we are trying to fill this vacuum, um, and there's two two goals here. One is to help the tenants that you know uh, we are we are seeking to help, and the other is to kind of lead by example. Because if a little nonprofit with a small budget can generate over 50 class actions, our point is the government. Why isn't the government doing this? Mm-hmm. They could be doing this you know, tenfold. They could they could be putting us out of business. And that's actually what we're asking them to do. Our <laughs> our call on the government is to put housing rights initiative out of business because our existence, when you think about it, uh, is a tragedy. So to answer your question, there needs to be an enforcement overhaul where our state and city agencies are proactively and systematically looking into this problem uh, and creating dissent- disincentives for this you know, reprehensible and egregious behavior. Yeah. We come back, we'll talk a little bit more about consequences for folks to make these choices, but also how we can uh, look ahead to improving affordability in places like New York and LA. You're listening to this episode of The Zag. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Yeah, Aaron, you think about how hard it is to to pay rent and find affordable spots in New York, how hard it is to do that here in LA. If you were housing czar at either place, what do you feel like is your set of policies or solutions to get to a situation where folks do have a good shot of not paying half of their paychecks in rent? You know, there's a couple of things we can do. Um, you know, specifically with New York, uh, we can reform our property tax system. That, that's that's like for starters. So rental buildings pay four to five times more in New York City um, in property taxes than homeowners, which gets shifted onto the tenants in the form of higher rent. But you know, LA and nationally speaking, the first thing I would do is I would scrap the mortgage interest tax deduction, uh, mm. which really at the end of the day, if you look at the data, is uh, uh, benefiting the wealthiest of the wealthy. And that's a very expensive tax program. That costs, uh, um, you know, federal government uh, billions upon billions of dollars each year. Over 50% of the benefit is going to incomes that are making over $200,000 um, a year. And that, you know, that lowers their taxes and incentivizes the folks to buy homes. Uh, but it's not working because it's just uh, benefiting the wealthiest of the wealthy. Once you scrap that, then you can get creative. Right. You can take that money, divert that money, create affordable housing, uh, properly fund the Section 8 program. Right. Uh, There's so many things that that we could be doing, uh, not just at a state level, but at a federal level. We first have to scrap some of the bad policies that are just siphoning so much money from, you know, what 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 we really could be doing to help everyday uh, tenants and residents. And then what's the conversation like out there around 
supply and new housing being built. So you're seeing a lot of things being built out in LA, mm -hmm. but a critique of that is oftentimes it's of a luxury kind catering to a certain part of the market. There's nothing really in the middle. And then anytime you try to get things a little bit upzoned or smaller apartment buildings in communities where there's predominantly single family homes, you're seeing folks freak out and don't want to change the character of the neighborhood, quote unquote. Is that same kind of conversation happening in New York or is it something different? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the mayor, uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York City, um, he launched a few years ago an $83 billion affordable housing program, which focused a lot on rezoning um, certain communities. And I think, you know, as a concept, it's a good idea. I think it it's misguided in the sense that the communities it focused on are working class and low income communities, which is economically um, not a good idea. Because if you rezone a wealthier community uh, and you require landlords to provide a certain percentage of affordable units, since the market rates are so high, you are going to create more affordability. So I am a proponent of if we're going to rezone and create more affordable housing, you start in the wealthiest neighborhoods. Uh, uh, because not only are you going to create more affordable housing, you can create more affordable housing for less uh, if you do it through the mandatory inclusionary zoning program which requires landlords to allocate a percentage of their units to affordable housing. Yeah. So then assuming the city doesn't put you out of business and actually do all the things you want them to do, where is your organization two years from now, five years from now? We probably will have filed at you know that time over 100 class action lawsuits against landlords that are cheating on their tax benefits. Um, and we're going, you know, we are exploring... Uh, a pilot program. We're thinking about diverting resources to doing more discrimination, uh, source of income discrimination cases, where uh, a tenant with a voucher, oftentimes a Section mm -hmm. 8 voucher, uh, is told by their landlord that, you know, that, that uh, a prospective landlord, that, that uh, they can't use that voucher, they can't live in the building. In a lot of areas, that is illegal. A lot of times it is discriminatory. So two years from now, hopefully we'll have our national uh, platform uh, launched uh, and will be all over the place, maybe even in California. And then are people in your email inbox scrutinizing you? Have you faced public pressure at, at meetings or on the street? Like what kind of blowback have you gotten personally? Sometimes the, you know, the government, the, some of the agencies will go on the attack and they'll deny, you know, our claims. They'll deny that this is a systematic problem. Uh, they'll also skew some of our data and say that, you know, it's not true. A lot of the blowback is at, you know, from those who, you know, we are rightfully uh, criticizing. But for the most part, people have been extremely um, supportive, uh, even folks that don't agree. So our views on affordable housing, some folks we know who are more conservative will say, you know, that sounds like big government. We don't agree with you. However, we appreciate the fact that you're going after fraud because our views on affordable housing are trumped uh, you know, by our views on fraud, and we are happy that you're doing that work. So overall, it's been, it's been pretty uh, positive, and I'm grateful for that. You know, last night we had our, our first NLC LA Fellows Weekend this past weekend. What kind of advice would you give to folks who are going to go through that experience similar to you did and were able, uh, you, know, you were able to, to use that experience and, and launch yourself into something that sounds really like it's igniting a personal and a professional passion. How would you advise folks to take advantage of the NLC experience in the next five months? 
Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say do not take it um, for granted and, and really make the best of it. The, you know, the best part, one of the, my favorite features of NLC is that um, they only want the best. And I learned that um, the hard and good way because when I first applied, I got immediately <laughs> rejected. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I have to work harder. I have to, you know, uh, climb the ladder and 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 do bigger things and, and have a bigger vision. And then I applied a second time, got in. I just took, I was so grateful that I got in. I took the program so seriously. And you also don't want to sleep on the capstone project. Um, that is a very uh, crucial part of, um, you know, the training. Uh, it's probably the only time in your life where you'll be able to just be as creative as humanly possible and put together a project that you may have always wanted to move forward on, but you just never had the time. Uh, I did it. And if it weren't for NLC, Housing Rights Initiative, you know, would have never happened. Nice. Listen, thanks for all you're doing out there. And we look forward to welcome you, hopefully at some point soon, to LA and get that off your bucket list. It's crazy that it hasn't happened yet. But thanks for all your contribution. <laughs> thanks for all your, your your contributions out east. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. You can find all past ones in all the spots where you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. There's a lot there, over 110 or so episodes of alums doing great work across the country. And don't forget to check out the bonus pods we put up last week that feature our 2019 NLC LA fellows. They're short and sweet, five minutes or so, but get to know our class. They're an amazing group. And until next time, take care.